Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about the inflation metric that's dominating today's central bank policy, which in turn is dominating the cost of capital as interest rates increase. The Federal Reserve is committed to raising interest rates until they suppress demand enough to see core CPI metrics average 2%, their stated target. On yesterday's show, we discussed how the healthcare component of the CPI metric is calculated. On today's show, we're talking about another fudge in the calculation of CPI. It partially answers the question of how Paul Volcker managed to tame inflation in the early 1980s by pushing interest rates north of 18%. Prior to 1983, the true monthly cost of housing included the cost of capital in the measurement of inflation. If you had a variable interest rate loan on your house, and if interest rates rose, then your monthly housing costs were shown to rise in tandem with the rising interest rates. This cost increase was reflected in the consumer price index. It all makes sense. Now, Paul Volcker is largely credited with conquering inflation by doing the difficult thing and raising interest rates to 18%. It triggered a deep recession, and it caused massive economic pain and bankruptcies throughout the economy. But if pushing interest rates to 18% was going to create inflationary pressures in housing, how could higher interest rates actually reduce inflation? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's actually very simple. You simply change the measurement to exclude that pesky interest rate from the consumer price index, and now the problem is solved. See, there are two types of residences. There's owner-occupied and then those that are rented. Most people own their home. And despite the fact that home ownership covers 65.5% of the population, home ownership is not factored into the cost of housing. The method used to determine housing cost in the CPI metric is owner-equivalent rent. The consumer price index was altered to narrow the definition of consumer to only those activities involved in actual consumption. If you buy a house, that is treated as a capital item. But if you rent, that's consumption. So, taken directly from the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, and I'm going to quote, The shelter service that is a housing unit provides to its occupants is the relevant consumption item for CPI. Most of the cost of shelter for renter-occupied housing is rent. For owner-occupied units, most of the cost of shelter is the implicit rent that the owner-occupants would have to pay if they were renting their homes without furnishings or utilities. Owned housing units themselves are not priced in the CPI housing survey. Like most other nations' economic statistics programs, the CPI program views owned housing as capital or investment goods distinct from the shelter service they provide and therefore is not considered as consumption goods. Spending to purchase and improve houses and other housing units is treated as an investment and not consumption in the CPI. Interest costs, such as mortgage interest, property taxes, real estate fees, most maintenance, and all improvement costs are part of the cost of capital goods and are not treated as consumption items. These non-consumption costs of owned housing are out of the scope of CPI under the cost of living framework that guides the index. Now, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics gets most of their rental data from the large national property management companies that have tens of thousands of apartments under management. Actually, very little data on single-family homes on a market-by-market basis. Most of the housing costs pertaining to more than 65.5% of the population are actually imputed. They're the result of a calculation, an academic calculation for a series of financial transactions between the owner of a property and themselves as the tenant that actually never took place. Not only that, imputed rent from the rental equivalents 
is also included in the calculation of gross domestic product. Well, here too, no transaction took place. So gross domestic product is being overstated by transactions that never happened. Now, housing makes up 40% of the core CPI metric and fully 65.5% of the 40% or 26.2% of the core consumer price index is made up of numbers that were never transacted in the real economy. So my simple question is, what could go wrong with this method? Is it possible there's some inaccuracy in those calculations? Is it possible that the equations used to calculate the rental equivalents are not a proper reflection of the true cost of housing? The question is, with housing accounting for 40% of the core CPI metric, how is the cost of housing going to stabilize enough to cause a CPI measurement showing an average 2% annual inflation rate, which is, after all, the Federal Reserve's target for inflation? Will a fall in house prices due to rising interest rates actually reflect a reduction in CPI? According to the methodology, at least as I understand it, the connection is tenuous at best. And when an owner-occupied house becomes unaffordable, then demand increases for rental housing. That increase in demand pushes up rents because there isn't necessarily new supply with higher interest rates. And the Bureau of Labor and Statistics routinely uses the concept of substitution in their analysis. So when product one becomes too expensive, consumers substitute another cheaper alternative. For example, if interest rates make owning a house too expensive, then renting a smaller accommodation might be a cheaper alternative. But since capital costs are not taken into consideration, there's no way for the Fed's model to see that they're shifting demand from one home ownership type to another. Unless the Fed sees a stabilization or drop in their rental equivalence metric, they're going to continue to feed the creature that they're trying to kill. Maybe the cure for high prices is simply high prices. Maybe Paul Volcker wasn't the hero after all. And maybe the Fed simply needs to stop printing money. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.